Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Noctane. This week, I want to review an episode where I had Savannah Fernandez come on and chat about dogs. She is a dog expert, as in the history of dogs, dog training, creating a social media following with a dog. She's got an American bully, and she gives a lot of pointers on how to train, how to make sure that your pit bull isn't being ostracized by your neighborhood, and also where the bulldog came from. It was a good conversation. I hope you enjoy. So you are uh, a dog trainer. Yep. And you uh, specialize in bully breeds. I do. Did you study any Uh, type of animal science in school? I did, actually. So I studied zoology with an emphasis on animal behavior and a little bit of psychology. So um, kind of that fun thing, like human psychology transfers to dogs in this weird way that doesn't make any sense if you really think about it, I guess. But brains are all wired the same, I suppose. (laughs) No, that's that's right up my alley. So my degree is in psychology. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I'm uh, I'm a big time um, behaviorist. Um, when it comes to uh, uh, working with, uh, so I work with kids for a uh-huh. while. I still work with kids. And so I'm very into uh, like, so heavy. you're a kid trainer. Ex- <laughs> I got to be careful <laughs> with what I say about that. But more or less, Same I idea. suppose they call it teaching. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could say when teaching. it's animals, they call it training. <laughs> when it's people, it's teaching. It's all the same, though. Yeah, let's exactly. Be honest. It's taking skills and making sure they know how to replicate them in, right. the, in the setting that's appropriate. Um, but you specialize in bully breeds. Yeah. So I tend to specialize in more of like the dogs that nobody else wants to mess with. Um, okay. All of your big bullies and your mastiffs and those real scary looking dogs that normally people try to avoid on the street. So I've always kind of had a soft spot for them. I like them. I like my big meatheads to just hang out with. <laughs> so so you f- focused on that. You got out of school and then you wanted to go work with dogs, basically. Is that what yeah, the direction so was? I was always kind of that weird dog kid growing up. I just mm. tended to get along better with dogs than everybody else. And so it just kind of made sense, you know, studying animals and psychology and behavior to just kind of transfer that to dogs. Then once I got into dogs, I realized that there was kind of this specialized niche that was opened and nobody wanted to go into it. So kind of followed the path that way and moved on with my bullies. What is it about certain breeds of dogs that people just don't want to have anything to do with them? I mean, Um, like there's people that are that way about a lot of animals. Right. Like obviously like there's, there's somebody that was explaining to me, um, if you ever said something, if you reverse the, the phrases that you hear about cats, like, oh, I hate all cats. Like, I wish they were gone off the face of the earth. Like, I, if I had, there were a cat here right now, I'd shoot it. But if you say the same thing about dogs, like, Everybody people just, like, out. they freak out. But <laughs> for some minds. reason, you, there are types of dogs that people hate. Right. So, you um, see that they're dogs. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're all just dogs. Yeah. Let's be honest. They just want to be there to hang out with you and be mm-hmm. near you. Um, I've noticed with bully breeds, there tends to be a lot of myths. You know, people think that they'll, oh, they're going to turn on you. They might take your arm off. They hate children. They're, you know, this and that. And they've got a lock jaw. That's my favorite one. You know, never turn your back on a pit bull because it'll turn around and grab you and you'll never break it off. It's jaw lock. <laughs> and yeah. so that was kind of my biggest interest was where did these myths come from and why do people feel this way about bully breeds? And I've always kind of had an interest in them anyway. I grew up with more of those aggressive looking dogs like Rottweilers and German Shepherd dogs and 
um, that way. So moving into pit bulls just kind of made sense for me. And they're kind of a funny dog. I feel like people either totally love them or they totally hate them. Like you almost never find a middle. It's either like pit bulls or rainbows and butterflies and I just want to cuddle them all day or mm-hmm. they're the devil. Like, <laughs> And you were kind of telling me you were almost getting into a story earlier or maybe a series of stories. Oh, all the stories. <laughs> of people that really legitimately hate pit yeah. bulls mostly, certain yeah, bulldogs. So, Pit bulls tends to be like this big category. So when I reference a pit bull, I'm talking about like the American pit bull terrier, which are kind of your tall, leaner, muscular dogs bred mm. for originally dog fighting. And so that's kind of where a lot of the fear comes from. Is Were they actually bred for dog fighting? Yep. So okay. after bull baiting started to kind of die off, that's where bulldogs were created was for this fun show to go out and just mess with bulls all day and then they would die in the end the bull or the bull would the bulldog wouldn't wait um, i didn't know this yeah so, so, so history lesson okay that's cool <laughs> i didn't know this so bulldogs were yep so bulldogs were a bull baiting dog in england way okay. back when in like the 1800s so okay. they were taller then they're not like our short little bulldogs now so their legs were long enough the idea was that you wanted a hard-headed stubborn dog that would jump up and grab a bull by its nose where that mm. nose ring is pull him to the ground and then the other bulldogs would essentially tenderize the bull before it was killed and sold to market so it was kind of this big fun event that people would go to, you know, fun. Okay. And everybody would go in and watch, and it was this huge thing. And then it, we started to realize that this is really cruel, and we shouldn't do this to animals. Hmm. And so all these bulldoggers, as they called themselves, started to move away from this bullfighting niche, and they needed something that was more underground and secretive, something that, you know, didn't need a giant arena to happen. Okay. So that's where dogfighting came in. So they already had these bulldogs that were like essentially the perfect fighting machines in their mind. Unfortunately, they then bred them with terriers to kind of bring in some more tenacity. So if you've ever seen a terrier work, I don't know if you have. I haven't noticed a lot of them kind of in this area. Um, But they'll go out hunting like uh, rats and squirrels and things. And they're the kind of dog that if you've ever seen a Jack Russell, he'll do Mm -hmm. a backflip off a tree like 200 times before he finally gets tired and lays down and waits for the squirrel to come down. He's just not going to stop. Yeah. So the idea was we breed these really high energy terriers with these kind of sluggish, beefy bulldogs. And then we get these fast, muscular dogs that can just go all day. So that came to America kind of with the colonies and everything, and it started to pop up all over. Well, in the 1980s-ish, we decided that that's not good either, and we finally put a ban on that. And we've started to evolve towards the pit bull that you see now, the kind of, you know, real lovey, goofy kind of dog. Okay. Um, So a lot of people think with a pit dog, you're looking at these bloodthirsty machines that are just really evil and horrible, and they just want to tear things apart all day. And that's not really how it is. So a lot of these pit bulls, unfortunately, are genetically hardwired to not really get along really well because that's just what their genes tell them to do. Just like a border collie is going to know to go out and herd um, sheep if it's never done it before. Or pointer kind of starts to show those behaviors on its own. Mm-hmm. You tend to see it not so common now, but every once in a while you'll find a pit bull that just doesn't really like other dogs. And that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, But the idea with a pit dog was that there was always a judge in the ring, so you could never have a dog that was going to bite a human, right? And so that's why bullies tend to have this real happy, goofy, they just want to be in their human's laps all the time because they had to go from this fighting mentality to turn around and be in a family dog because otherwise they're not going to stick around. 
And so it's transferred really, really well to the, you know, everyday kind of family dog. But unfortunately, there are still a lot of these negatives that stick around the breed that people are kind of always going back to because Mm -hmm. they remember, you know, oh, my grandma told me about these horrible dogs or I've seen news stories about these dogs. And you still kind of see it from time to time, like the fighting rings pop up. I don't know if you remember the Oneida dogs. There was a big bust over in Oneida Mm -hmm. County a couple of years ago. No, no. Yeah, so I think they got like 60 dogs out of there. It was super sad, really unfortunate. And that's kind of when I first started to get involved with bully breeds was this fighting bust happened. And I was just so shocked and so mind blown that people could do this to animals that I had to know why and where this came from and get involved and help them and kind of turn things around for them. Um, So I guess that's kind of a basic history lesson on on pit bulls. That's really detailed. I had no idea that they were, well, I mean, obviously bulldog. I had heard stories, but I've never sat down and read yeah, Anything I mean, about a lot of people really don't because they're just cute and cuddly and there's not much more to it in modern days. But it's kind of funny because I'm sure, you know, once you start to really delve into breeds and you see why they do things the way that they do, it totally makes sense because you're like, oh, you know, this Border Collie is staring people down because its genes are telling it to herd. And mm-hmm. luckily we can start to breed away from things like dog aggression and um, whatnot, but it is something that that unfortunately was the past and kind of the plus side is that we ended up with these really awesome dogs in the end. So, <laughs> so the, that I never heard of it explained that way about the uh, genetics and the behavior, yeah. which makes perfect sense. Right. Genetics we, are crazy. <laughs> we don't, we don't associate behaviors with genes as human beings. We right. see them as, as uh, personality traits. Exactly. Yep. And so that's kind of a fun one. That's something that I've just recently started getting more involved in and learning more about. And I'd really like to go back and take some more classes in um, like genetics and that sort yeah. of thing. Cause I just think it's totally fascinating. And it's something that never dawned on me before I got more involved with dogs and kind of moving in. I do a little bit of everything. I've been involved in rescue and showing and competition and um, just having house pets and all kinds of everything. So I've gotten to see these fun aspects where you'll see mom and dad and then you've got this baby that's just got like this weird blend of traits and it can Mm -hmm. never socialize with mom and dad again and still end up doing these same odd behaviors that they do. And so that's where it really started to come together for me. And I was like, oh, some of these traits aren't just personality. Some of this is, you know, inherited genetics, things that are just hardwired into your dog. Which kind of brings it back to people. I'd love to know if there's some traits that just get passed on to us too. I mean, fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, there's a there's a book I read recently. Actually, it's an it's an old book, uh, uh, Selfish Gene. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one or Uh -uh. read. Okay, it's uh, it's uh, uh, Richard Richard Dawkins. He's kind of an outspoken atheist. Yeah. So, um, and that's what a lot of people know him for. um, Mm -hmm. Is his like and basically anti-religious. Like it's a religious. Right. religiously anti-religious stance <laughs> but uh, he started out um, in evolution and and coming up with uh, the specifics of of heredity and how genes express themselves wow and it's it's really a good book <clears throat> yeah it's, it's uh um, but he wrote it in like the 70s and it was it was 
I want to say it was the seventies. Um, but it was, he even, um, like references, uh, uh, you know, the up and coming like computer technology and how that's, we're going to be able to use that and how he simulates certain behaviors and environments and certain traits. But he references so cool. behaviors as traits in there as well. Yeah. Um, and it's so much easier to see in animals than it is in other right. human beings because we don't, we don't actually look at ourselves and see the decisions and the behaviors that we're making as a part of our genetics. We right. see it as our choice. Well, and it's kind of harder, too, with humans because, you know, you can see a dog and you can live through generations in just a matter of years. You can mm-hmm. have mom, dad, grandparents, offspring, all this all this stuff going on. But with humans, you're looking at like 20 years before you might have the next generation. Yeah. And so it can be really hard to study that in us as well, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But I would be interested to see if somebody did like you a hundred year study. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> like very ethical to start to control for that those types of behavioral traits and things uh you shouldn't be breeding for that yeah it takes us down a dark road (laughs) yes yes i think the nazis might have tried something similar to that but i was gonna say take us back to hitler days might not be a good idea yeah that didn't last long for them uh and it didn't work um that that brings up an interesting thought as far as uh the breeding aspect that's something that we don't people don't necessarily attribute to dogs that was something that i i read uh it was a while ago um about how i want to say in like the 18 the late seven like late 1700s like in the 18th century Uh there weren't a lot of breeds of dogs yeah do you know anything about that can you speak um, well, so I mean, dog breeds have kind of been created as jobs come available for them. So mm-hmm. originally we were kind of hunter gatherers. We just needed dogs that could help us hunt or that could fend off predators and that sort of thing. So in the beginning, you're really just looking at dogs like um, your livestock guardian breeds, kind of like your Great Pyrenees. Those types of dogs would have been really helpful back way back when. Moving towards like the 18th century, that's when we started to be able to live in comfort. And yeah. that's where companion dogs started to become more popular. Popular. So that's where you start to see like pugs and Pomeranians and these different lap dogs starting to pop up um, outside of royalty. So prior to that, most of like your small friendly companion dogs were more of like a royal family luxury. Okay. And the average person didn't get that. The average person got like your working border collie, which is going to look totally different than the working border collie today, too, because things have changed and advanced and we have more technology. We don't need a border collie that can be out just roaming hills for days on end yeah right we've got everything fenced in now so we need a dog that's got that on switch and that off switch so it's kind of fascinating i mean you can find like old paintings of dogs and just see that the way the ways that they've changed i think pugs are probably one of the most interesting dogs to look at like way back when in china and then now and compare them side by side like they don't look the same at all they used to have these weird little ears that stood straight up and these long faces so oh, okay and so we smashed that in <laughs> yeah We just, (laughs) and I think it all kind of goes back towards domestication too. So if Mm -hmm. you look at a lot more of like these primal breeds, like uh, even now your huskies and um, your Sholos, like the Mexican hairless dog, if you watch Coco, um, they're kind of like these really primal dogs. They've got ears that all stand up. Yeah. And you look at these more domesticated dogs, like your pugs, and they've all got floppy ears. And so there's kind of been like this weird link towards things like floppiness and wrinkles that you see in dogs and even um, like rabbits and other livestock, where the more that they're domesticated, the more that 
you kind of, again, going back to personality, we're breeding for these specific traits. And a lot of these traits seem to be linked to these physical attributes like floppy ears. Okay. So by primal, you're talking, you mean like a Like more... a more, um, so not as inbred, I guess would be a good way to okay. look at it. Like more of a just kind of left to their own will to kind of breed and create their own. Well, what are you trying to say about people with floppy ears? (laughs) I'm not sure I've seen a person with floppy ears, but that's very interesting. Not yet. (laughs) Right. You haven't traveled to the right areas of the country. That's good to Um, know. Yeah. I'll have to look around. That's actually kind of hmm, curious. (laughs) That's, that's cool. So, so you're basic, so you're saying that a lot of these traits just have ancillary effects yeah. So the domestication effect also has like these physical effects that we can yeah, see. Yeah, super interesting stuff. Kind of, um, and then we start to pick in and add our own traits too. Like a lot of people don't want to have that husky with the triple coat that they have to be brushing out all the time and it blows twice a year and just fills up your air vents so you can't breathe and you don't have good air conditioning, right? We're all yeah. moving towards like pugs that have a single coat and are super easy to take care of. Well, still kind of a double coat, but you know, not as much upkeep. And so then you do start to see these weird things that start to mix in there, like shorter legs or wider chests. And <laughs> that is, yeah, we're just, des- I mean, we design dogs. Obviously, right. we design any of the domesticated animals yep. is what has happened over time. But not a lot of people stop to think about that. Right. And, and we- it's super interesting, too, if you kind of look at these areas that don't really have the domesticated or like the pet dogs. So you're looking at more like third world countries yeah, where dogs are just left to their own free will. They all tend to look the same. So they all tend to have those erect ears again and mm. kind of a brownish color, kind of tall and lean bodies. Um, so you can start with like all these weird dogs like pugs and pit bulls and such. And pretty soon you've got the same exact layout in all these populations across the globe. So that would probably be an environmentalist uh, evolutionary argument for that. The environment is selecting oh, for I'm wild sure. environment. Was, yeah. But whereas we're picking a totally different set of genes. Yeah. To... And it's crazy too. I mean, like um, my dad lives in the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool to see the dogs there versus even like the dogs in Peru where he used to live or the dogs in Mexico or Africa. Mm-hmm. Like all these different dogs are just kind of interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> and the bully breeds, you said, were <clears throat> bred to fight. Mm-hmm. They originally bred them to fight bulls. Yep. They, and then they started to fight each other. I've seen a bull fight before in Spain, and this was in like 2000. And it was pretty nuts. Yeah, I, I don't think they do it in Spain so much anymore, but I'm pretty sure it's still a thing in Mexico. Like oh, okay. uh, the matadors are very prominent um, historically in Mexico and Spain. And so it's definitely interesting how we kind of decided that it was unethical to let dogs fight bulls, but then send out a man with swords to stab a bull. And I'm just kind of like, hmm, I feel like we should have crossed this all out together and just left our bulls alone. (laughs) Probably the best thing. Uh, It's, it's, I don't even know. It's just that, 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 uh live violence that people are drawn to right. has been so it got that that live violence obviously like it t- continued a while with the bullfighting but then the dogs people wanted to see dog fights and so that cultural phenomenon just kind of went yeah. Uh, changed into that, that well, venue. Well, I, I kind of have to wonder, too, because I'm sure everybody's heard about it. Like, back in Rome, you're looking at people in the Colosseum versus, like, a lion or a pit of dogs or whatever it might be. So I kind of wonder if it just started that way and his ethics started to pick up. Like, oh, maybe we shouldn't feed people to wild animals. Let's just all fight the wild animals together, and then we'll take domestic animals and... 
then we're finally starting to hit that point where it's like, yeah, this is probably just not something that we should do at all. <laughs> so violence is bad. Right. <laughs> That's true. I would like to say. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but this dog was bred that way. But your point <clears throat> is that people don't like the dog. Don't People tend to have a misunderstanding of these breeds because they weren't bred to attack people yep they were bred to defend and maybe be offensive towards other dogs but you you said that you've had some situations can you talk about like your your work and the situations you've run into with people as far as yeah so it's pretty crazy i have an american bully which is kind of another off branch of the pit bull so um kind of another little mini history lesson here from our pit bulls the american kennel club finally agreed to allow them to become a registered breed around the 1970s okay um but with that there had to come a name change because they weren't comfortable with the pit bull name being brought into their official registry. Okay. So we ended up with this offshoot of the American Staffordshire Terrier, okay. which looks very similar to a pit bull now, but you're looking at two breeds that have been so same stock, but bred for very different traits. Okay. And so it's kind of interesting. Well, then eventually we've hit this point around the 90s where we were like, yeah, these am staffs are great. But I'd really like a dog that can just go outside and isn't going to want to chase squirrels all day or want to bark at other dogs, you know, can be out with my kids and is going to be totally fine, a little bit more low energy, not so crazy. Um, And that's where the American bully started to come out. So we took those Amstaffs and those pit bulls and started to bring them back to bulldogs to kind of get that more sluggish, easygoing temperament while keeping this big bully look that's kind of intimidating, which a lot of people like too, right? Like I want a dog who's going to be fantastic with my family, Yeah, but people are going to double think approaching us. And it, people get dogs for safety reasons, right? I mean, protection. It's and even true. if you don't think that your dog would ever actually protect you, there's mm-hmm. definitely that intimidation factor. Where even as my for myself as a pet professional, I am a little bit slower with certain breeds because I know that they can. You know, if I get bit by a Rottweiler, it's going to do a lot more damage than if I get bit by a Chihuahua. Yes. And that's not necessarily like a I'm afraid of Rottweilers. It's just being more realistic of consequences if something happens yes and so you tend to see this a lot where people kind of see a pit bull and they start to back off or they go the other direction which is pretty normal and as we're starting to breed like american bully temperaments into the pit bulls where you're getting that more laid back easygoing super friendly just kind of want to lounge all day dog that everybody really wants yeah Um, We're starting to, so I personally have been involved in taking my dog various places and signing up for like events that go on in the Treasure Valley to kind of get him out there and show people that he's just this, you know, average lovable dog and he's not something to be feared Um, because he does have the cropped ears, which make him look super intimidating on top of already having this big head and this wide chest. And, you know, these giant jowls that you can see when he's smiling from ear to ear because mm-hmm. he looks like the Joker. So yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of interesting. Like, we'll go out in public and we've done events where people have literally gone out of their way to walk up to us and tell me that my dog should have a bullet in his head because of his breed. Wow. And it's very kind of intimidating when you live in a state like Idaho where, you know, somebody might have a gun on them and they might follow through with this threat. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something that I'm very realistic about when I take my dog out. I'm always sure uh, make sure that he's, you know, tight beside me and he's not going up to random people and he doesn't give anybody a reason to feel threatened or intimidated by him. And I think that's really important for other bully breed owners if they want to start to make this positive impact and show people 
that our dogs are not to be feared. Um, because, you know, a lot of them, we know that our dogs are friendly and we want to take them out and just let them rush people and show them that they're friendly too. But if yeah. you've got a hundred pound dog running at you, it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. Even if it's got a tail wagging and it looks friendly, I personally still, I'm going to back up like, mm, I don't know about this, right? Like, <laughs> yes. can be pretty intimidating. So it's kind of unfortunate because we've got a lot of people that just want their dogs to go out and be lovable, but they also don't really understand this idea of that's really scary when your dog runs at people because in their mind, their dog's just a big teddy bear and yeah. they don't see the danger in it. And so it kind of continues to add on to this fear that a lot of people feel because the day before I'm at the park, you know, somebody might be there with an off-leash uh, pit bull or Rottweiler or Doberman that runs up to somebody barking. And now when that person encounters me the next day, they're going to be on guard when they see my dog and they're going to start to act defensively because if they threaten my dog before he gets the chance to threaten them, they've kind of got that upper hand in their mind. Yeah. And so I've noticed that a lot. Like a lot of people will have these horror stories about the time that they were bit by so-and-so's dog at five years of age. And mm -hmm. it's kind of funny. You can go out and I promise you, if you like went out later today and you asked everybody about their opinion on Pitbull, they'd all give you this crazy story that's going to sound vaguely similar to everybody else's stories. And, yeah. and it's usually one of two, like, oh, I had the sweetest Pitbull you've ever met in your life. And he just wanted to lay in your lap all the time. Or it's something like, I knew somebody that got their nose bit off by a pit bull and it was the scariest thing ever and they should all just die. So, <laughs> Do you know any statistics about the reality of attacks of bully breeds versus any other dog? <laughs> so unfortunately, when a bully breed bites, they do have a lot more jaw strength than oh, okay. a lot of other dogs. So they yeah. tend to do more damage, which is why you tend to hear about them more often. Okay. Um, but realistically, there's more recorded Labrador bites than there are pit bull bites. Um, okay. So that's just kind of also taken into consideration that there's a lot more people who own Labradors than yep. people who own pit bulls. And so when you kind of look at it that way, there's really no difference in saying that a pit bull is going to bite more frequently than a Labrador. Yeah. Right. The Labrador is just owned a little bit more. So you get this higher st statistic number there. Um, I would say if you're looking at breeds that are most likely to bite, that's probably going to be more of your guardian breeds because that's what it they were trained to do is to mm -hmm. be a protector like your mastiffs and that goes back to roman times and um even like your great pyrenees they can be kind of like those offensive they're going to keep you away from the herd okay is that territorial usually when it when it is in that situation sort of kind of like a resource guarding like okay. this is my home or my so territorial in that sense um but more so i would say like a pack mentality like mm. this is my family to protect and so i'm going to keep you away um, because a lot of these dogs tend to view us as more of a prey animal, which if you take away all of our technology, we kind of are. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so they do feel the need to protect us. And a lot of people kind of tend to have um, softer personalities towards animals because we just want to love our animals. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of step up into that role of, well, you're kind of a soft, cuddly human and you can't protect yourself, so I better just take care of this. Um, and so when you've got those dogs that are predisposed to already want to protect you and you kind of add that in. So, sorry, I keep going off track on your That's questions. Okay. This is interesting <laughs> stuff. Go ahead. I would definitely say if you're looking at bite statistics, you're going to mm. see more bites coming out of these protecting, protective breeds. Yes. Um, or even like your German Shepherds and your Dutch Shepherds, which are, it's just kind of another genetic thing. It's just trained into them at this point because they've been bred to be police dogs for so long to just yeah. be bitey. Yeah. And so even if they don't bite you with intent, 
they still might bite you. And then you end up with like 20 recorded bites against a German shepherd because that's just, it's fun in his brain. He's just playing a game. <laughs> Got it. And and what do you think about the bad publicity that some, that these dogs that you work with are getting and, and how much of that is just like general <clears throat> outrage maybe with our, our culture, obviously like stereotypes right. play into that. You know, there must not be a lot of thinking going on. And and what do you do to, obviously, you're you're help, helping the dogs by, um, you know, giving tips about keeping them closer to you and those types of things. But but, like, what do you, what do you do? What else can you do to kind of to help people understand? What can people right. in general do? So help? I think the best way to go about it is to just make sure that your dog is really well trained obedience wise. Okay. If you have a dog that's not pulling on the leash and sits when you ask it to, that's kind of a really easygoing thing for other people. They're going to see it and kind of, okay, that dog is under control. Um, versus, you know, if you've got the dog that's at the end of the leash pulling you and running back and forth and doing circles yeah. and all this stuff, it's kind of anxious behavior, which makes humans feel anxious. And even if you don't really notice it, I can see kind of, I'm, I've kind of trained my eye to pick up on these things from people where I'll start to notice them kind of shaking their leg or um, clicking their fingers against something or snapping or doing these things because they see an anxious dog. Now they're feeling anxious and then the dogs and the people are feeding off of each other and you just end up with this giant anxious mess going on. So, And you're a dog trainer. Yep. So I'm assuming that your dog is very well trained. I like to think that he is, but sometimes he likes to prove me wrong. Okay. So. <laughs> That's, there's still some personality aspects, I'm sure, with any and dog. It's kind of looking at it. So uh, I like to say, you know, have a well-trained dog, but also keep in mind that it is a living, breathing animal that makes its own conscious decisions. So mm -hmm. you're looking at a dog who's going to be maybe like 98% of the time really good. Yeah. And then 2% of the time, mm, I kind of feel like doing this instead. And realistically, I feel like kind of making that difference in your mind where you're not looking at your dog as so much of like, a, oh, you're failing today because you're pulling all the leash and more so maybe we should end today and try again tomorrow. Okay. Um, and just kind of continuing to make those steps forward in having a dog who's not going to rush people, um, very intimidating, a dog who's going to rush other dogs, also very intimidating. And unfortunately, I see it a lot where people are like, oh, don't worry, my dog is friendly. I'm like, okay, that's great, but this person is terrified of dogs, so that doesn't change anything in their mind. And in fact, you're now causing like this negative reinforcement where they see this dog and, um, well, sort of a positive reinforcement. They see the dog and it reinforces this fear of dogs because nobody has control of it. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, people will take, especially their pit bulls, I see it all the time locally where people will have their dog off leash and don't yeah. worry, he's friendly and he, your dog comes running up to me and I'm with somebody who's terrified of pit bulls and I'm trying to get them over that fear with my own dog and now we have to start over because this giant dog charged them and it kind of reinforces that negative stereotype again towards this pit bull because he's really scary. And then you're also kind of looking at like a dog versus dog interaction. So yeah. pit bulls are really great dogs. Like I said, I really like them, but they've kind of got their own language. Like if you ever watch a pit bull play, they're kind of like this weird stiff body and they've got this tail that wags really fast, Okay, which can mean I want to fight to another dog. Like they might not understand that. And so you mm -hmm. tend to see these scuffles happen more often with these breeds that might have a little bit more of a difficult time kind of showing off regular dog-to-dog -dog interactions because they've been bred away from that for a long time and we're starting to bring that back in. 
Um, so even if your dog is not necessarily aggressive, just because it's a little bit off, it can throw off another dog and cause an aggressive response out of that dog. So I think it's really important for people that want to try and make pit bulls more positive to make sure that their dogs are always under control. If you're somewhere that's on leash, make sure that your dog is on leash and that, you know, they're not dragging you up and down the sidewalk and charging other dogs and people. Always kind of asking, hey, is it cool if my dog says hi or asking your dog to sit and then letting people approach is a really good one I've noticed with my personal dogs. So um, I'll take him out and we kind of do like some fun tricks and people get interested. So then I'll ask him to sit and people can come up and pet him. And I've noticed that tends to be the biggest positive for people that might not be sure about pit bulls. They kind of see this dog that's listening and he's behaving really well. And then when they go up and touch him, he's not jumping on them and he's not knocking them over. He's just kind of letting them do what they want to do while he sits there and licks their hand or whatever it might be. Um, of course that doesn't stop the people who are still afraid and we have ended up in bad situations like Mm -hmm. online or even in person. We had a stalker at one point in time, which was kind of a fun thing in itself. What happened there? (laughs) Um, so my dog is kind of a Instagram mini celebrity, I guess. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) He's not really that big. We're getting close to like 10,000 followers. But (laughs) um, so he's kind of been, he started off locally where we had around 2,000 local followers where a lot of people just kind of saw us out doing things and asked if he had social media and we started off that way. Yeah. Um, So we ended up with this person locally who saw him and they were very intimidated by him. And even though I always, again, try to kind of make things positive, um, I understand that people are still afraid and I try not to put them or him in those situations where there might be any sort of fear. Yeah. And so I think avoiding these people that I could already tell were pretty on the fence about it just kind of reinforced this idea that my dog was this negative. Um, So we ended up with these really fun rumors that my dog was a man biter, a.k.a. he had put holes in humans before because he was vicious and angry and terrible um, and that he had killed other dogs. Also not true. Okay. Wow. Um, We ended up with stories that I would just kind of let him run rampant and he had all these litters of puppies that we dumped off at the shelters and all this crazy stuff that wasn't Mm -hmm. even true. I think he was like seven months old at the time. So I was like, I don't even think he's old enough to breed. <laughs> so is this all? Is this a lot of social media commentary that you're um, starting so to receive? It was a lot of it was social media backlash that we were kind of getting on our Instagram and our Facebook pages, where people were okay. kind of commenting commenting with negative things, or they were sending us messages like, mm-hmm. "Hey, you shouldn't take your dog out. Um, he should stay at home. You should always have him muzzled. He should always be wearing like five collars and a muzzle and stay in your car because he's really scary." And then it kind of started to progress more into this while we were in person, people approaching us and, hey, isn't that that pit bull from wherever they saw him? And I'd be like, yeah, and try and start a conversation off. Yeah, this is my dog's name is Bourbon. This is Bourbon and he's super friendly. If you want to say hi, he'll just sit here. (laughs) And it started to kind of turn to this, "Mm, but actually we really hate your dog. Like we just wanted to confirm that that was the dog that we hate. And so it kind of got really awkward a couple of times. Um, Who has time in the day (laughs) to hate a dog? (laughs) Let me go on the internet. Let me find a dog to hate. And then let me go find that dog in real life. That was totally how I felt. That is bizarre. Especially because... People are insane. 
People do that here? <laughs> yep, here in Boise. Oh, my god! And like I said, he only had a couple thousand followers at the time. So I was like, you know, I could possibly see if oh, he was a wow. huge, like a Manny the Frenchie with a million followers or something where yeah. people would just recognize him. But I was okay. like, man, you must really be going out of your way to find my dog and let me know that you don't like him. Like... <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So, um, oh, back to our stalker. Kind of a fun thing here. Okay. I thought that was like, so you already have, to me, that's a stalker. Right. That's the idea of a stalker is somebody that figures out that something of, of you know, like I'm on social media and then comes and finds, finds me and is like, yeah. oh, you're the person on social media. What a weird thing to right. do. Right. Well, and for me, there's always kind of that difference between like if I say, hey, me and Bourbon are going to be at this coffee shop later today mm-hmm. if anybody wants to stop by and ask questions. Like okay. that's one thing. But yeah. if I post a picture and we're at a coffee shop and somebody recognizes that and then shows up within five minutes, like... That's a little bit creepier. So that's happened. <laughs> is yes. this this is this the stalker story or is this that's just no that was <laughs> that just happens that's happened that's just something you have to deal with on yeah. a day to day life. So I to, mean, kind of kind of stalkery wow. in itself, and okay. um, some of it's kind of flattering, like you know, you just love my dog so much that you want to say hi to him. Some of it's kind of creepy, like you you drove thirty minutes to figure out where we were and come and say hi to my dog. Mm, okay, <laughs> wow. Um, so we ended up with a stalker that started off on Facebook. I used to share him a lot. In Facebook groups because I was doing a lot of training with him. I was teaching him to retrieve birds, okay. um, which is really not the norm for them because they do kind of have a firm bite compared to your Labrador who can pick up an egg and not break it. Okay. Um, so I really like to show him off. I thought that that was really fun. And it was mm. when I was really trying to kick off my training career and I wanted people to be interested. So you're trying to take a dog with behaviors that yeah. are very difficult to train and train them in a yeah. way that's uncomfortable to their genetics. Right. Okay. And so I was trying to do something that I thought would kind of resonate with a lot of people here. There's a lot of hunters. There's a lot of outdoors people. So I was like, all right, let's teach him to retrieve birds. This will be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up with this person that just thought it was the most horrendous thing that she'd ever seen in her life, that there was a pit bull out picking up birds instead of it being like a Labrador. Okay. Um, so it so was really weird. So were these birds that were, sh- these were live birds or? No, sh- these were dead th- birds. Okay. Yeah, so this was so. a hunting excursion. <laughs> yes. So okay. we were out. There's a, all sorts of different things that right. you could be opening up by like taking, you know, because people live are crazy. Birds, yeah. Right? People are, people are crazy about hunting and stuff too. Not yeah. here in Idaho so much, but. So we were actually not even like real birds at the time. Hmm. We were using dummies. Okay. And he was, we were, I was taking him out with hunting friends, people that are like senior hunters that have been doing dog training and birds for a long time. Okay. Um, so this person was totally like off put by the fact that my dog was picking up a wooden bird and bringing it to me. And so okay. she started to make all these weird posts about him. Um, I think she was the person who originally started the puppies at the shelter rumor. <laughs> and okay. so that was kind of... puppies in the shelter rumor? Or- yeah. So that I was like just randomly breeding him or he was breeding dogs like roaming the neighborhood. And then I was taking boxes of puppies and dumping them at the shelter, which oh. was really weird to me because I was doing, I was working with... Um, the Canyon County Animal Shelter. I can't remember what it's called now. West Valley Humane Society. Okay. So, like, I was working with the shelter. And so, for me, that was really weird. Like, yeah. I, I think I would remember bringing boxes of puppies here all the time, but yeah. I don't. I would probably keep them all for myself, let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> so, this is like this woman's making up elaborate lies. Yeah. Okay. And so, she just kind of wanted to tarnish my reputation because she knew that I was doing re- rescue work and mm-hmm. um, that I had this dog. And so, she kind of thought that would be a good start. Um, then she figured out that one of my friends was a realtor 
And so she hired my friend that was a realtor to kind of figure out what was going on with us, which was where it started to get really creepy. Oh, wow. And so my realtor friend was like trying to show her these houses and she kept asking these questions about my dog and pulling up his pictures on Facebook. And she's like, it's like this weird fascination. She Maybe she's just a fan, like, Mm -hmm. you know, so she had messaged me about it later and let me know. Well, pretty soon we started to have like weird occurrences kind of going on around our property. And it had been told to me that somebody had shown up at my work looking to see if that's where I worked and if I was bourbon, the American bully's owner and where we would be and that sort of thing. So it kind of started to dawn on me that this person might be following me places and like following me home from work. Oh, nice. So, (laughs) yeah, it was probably the creepiest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. Um, So we did end up kind of filing a report for that and got some other people involved. I changed my phone number. I moved. I left my job. Like, I was just super uncomfortable. Like, there were death threats towards my dog. I'm going to throw, you know, like, laced meat into your yard for him to eat. Weird. Um, It was super creepy. So he was only, like, I would only take him outside on a leash and be super vigilant on what he was doing because I was so terrified at the time that this person was just going to, like, jump over my fence one day and kidnap him. I don't need... What, what type of ramifications are there in this instance? Um, towards her? D- yeah, for stalking you. Well, I so, guess your dog or what yeah, happens. So, is, there, is there a happy resolution to this story? <laughs> it's really just like a restraining order that you hope that they follow through with. And so for me, okay. that was when I made the move to Caldwell because we did live in Boise at the time. And I was okay. like, all right, I just I kind of want to move somewhere really far away where hopefully this person won't follow me. And I definitely started to kick things back on my Instagram where I was no longer like, oh, we're going to be here or checking in at places all the time. And now mm-hmm. if you if you looked at our pages now it's more of like a general location we're in Boise yeah not like uh hey we're at the foothills right now um or that sort of thing I definitely have kind of cut back on that and I'm very careful about who I let know where we are anymore unless it's a big public event that we might go to um like the Bark and Brew don't know if you've ever been to that it's kind of fun so you take your dog and you drink beer in Boise and you just hang out with other dog owners (laughs) got it (laughs) so we do like to do things like that still and kind of keep keep up a public appearance that way mm-hmm. but it definitely taught me to kind of back off and and not be so open with social media and also making sure that my friends lists are private from now on because <laughs> I, I do also feel bad for my realtor friend who ended up in like the mix of all of this and had no idea what was going on <laughs> yeah that's so I've had friends that have had the traditional type stalker experience right. on Facebook that you hear about, you know what I mean? Like yeah. as far as like a guy stalking and a woman and then them trying to figure like learning to figure out or excuse <laughs> me, learning the process of not posting anything in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's a similar lesson, but I don't, I yeah. just never imagined somebody For would do dog. that. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. For That's kind of how I felt. I was like, man, does he really like bother you that much that you have to <laughs> like follow us? And make threats. It was just the most obscene thing. I still can't wrap my brain around the fact that this ever happened. So, (laughs) Yeah, what a story, though. Right. Well, and I think it was an old woman, too. So it wasn't even like in my mind, I had thought that like I was imagining this young male that was like, I just really hate pit bulls and I love my um, healers or something weird. Like Mm -hmm. for it to be this old woman made it even creepier. Like, man, you don't even have a job to go to. You can literally just follow me all day. Yeah, that is bizarre. Luckily, we've not had a stalker situation in a couple of years. Knock on wood. Oh, good. 
<laughs> Congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> Big achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling a, proud. <laughs> an Instagram dog is something that you right. need to be careful of at this juncture. Oh, it's crazy, though. We've got a couple Instagram dog friends who are up in like the 20s or the 50s or the 100,000 followers. And mm. they've kind of had similar stories of stalkers that have started to follow them around. Um, there was another local dog. I don't know if you remember it. I think it happened around 2011. Um, his name was Dallas, and he was a black poodle with a dyed mohawk. No, I'm not familiar. Um, so he was not really like a social media figure, but everybody in town has probably seen him at least once. Uh, like in Boise, he used to ride around on a motorcycle with his owner and do all these fun things. And, yeah. you know, the bright red mohawk makes him pretty noticeable. Yeah. Um, so he had been stolen out of the owner's truck while she had like walked into a pet food store or something. I don't even remember the full story. Oh, wow. Um, but so it's kind of... That had happened shortly before my incident. And so for me, that the two back-to-back kind of opened my eyes to, mm, there's some creepy dog people in Boise. Like, yeah. I really like my Boise people, but there's some weird ones out there. I'm sure they're <laughs> everywhere. Right. That's not even something that I was on my radar as a right? concern about human. There's enough concerns about right. humanity, I think. But and now we was... have to be worried about people stalking dogs. Your dog, yeah. You got to make sure that you don't leave them out back anymore. <laughs> So that's good. That's some good lessons about right. social media in general. If you're trying to avoid stalking, be right. careful about where, where you are posting and whether or not you're tagging yourself in locations in yeah. specific moments. Especially if you have a dog that's unique looking, a dog who mm. stands out like the red mohawk or my dog is a black and tan pit bull, which you don't see too often. Um, yeah. I mean, if you've got like your golden retriever, mm, better chances of people not figuring out who you are so yeah it's <laughs> more <be> anonymous <laughs> interesting um, you also gave some really good dog training advice about having your dog be able to sit uh-huh and stay on the leash yes some some dogs uh can be very difficult right how, how do you um like i said I, I psychology is kind of my background and behaviorism as well uh-huh. um <clears throat> what do you suggest to people that have, uh, maybe they get a puppy, um, have a high energy dog, and they're trying to get the dog to basically listen yeah. and and heal, you know, those types of situations. Right. What what do you recommend? Because I think a lot of times when people approach a dog, they don't approach it from a behavioral aspect. Mm -hmm. They approach the dog from a, I'm going to train this like uh, I would uh, approach a child yeah. and just like tell it what to do and wait for it to respond properly. And I then definitely give it verbal see praise. that a lot, a lot okay. more. So like I would say in the last three years, really, where I've noticed it becoming more popular, where people kind of look at their dogs like children versus yeah. as what they are, you know, an animal that's making decisions on rewards. So yeah. if we're being honest, I mean, my dog doesn't sit because he likes my presence. He sits because he likes it when I pet him or when I tell him he's a good boy or when I feed him. Mm -hmm. And so for people that are having issues teaching their dogs to sit and be good and be mindful, I always like to kind of give the advice of focus more on distractions versus distance. I see okay. a lot of people that will tell their dog to sit and then mm. they want to walk 30 yards away and hope that their dog stays yeah. um, versus telling their dog to sit right at their side and getting the dog used to sitting and staying while there's children running by or there's skateboards or bikes or birds or food vendors or all these weird things going on. Okay. Um, so kind of that exposure, showing your dog to go into these places and also staying in close proximity where if your dog makes a mistake or doesn't understand, you can help them through it. 
you know, if you're 30 yards away and your dog needs help, it's really hard for you to kind of re-show your dog what you want them to do or to catch them if they take off the wrong direction. So, (laughs) and I see that all the time where um, people just really kind of want to show off like how far my dog can stay. And so that's one of the biggest things. Like my first lessons is always um, when I do private dog training, worry about distractions before you start to focus on distance. Okay. Um, And kind of slowly bringing those up too. Just because your dog sits and stays in the kitchen doesn't mean that they've generalized the idea and they're going to sit and stay if you take them to the village. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the way that dog brains work. Dogs think in pictures. So when you've taught your dog to sit and stay in the kitchen and then you ask them to sit and stay later, in their mind they're thinking of that picture where the fridge was at their right and the counter was at their left. And now they're looking around and there's no fridge and there's no counter. So it doesn't make any sense. They're like, I don't know. I have no idea what you want me to do. Like there's okay. no fridge, there's no counter. I, what does sit mean? And a lot of people get really frustrated at this because they're like, oh, my dog does so well at home. And then we take him out and he doesn't do anything unless I'm holding a food stick right in front of his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you kind of have to help them generalize that. They're not the same as people. They don't register that, oh, when you say sit, it means put my butt on the ground every single time, right? I'm looking for these familiarities that tell me what I need to be doing right now. Hmm. That's so, that's good to know. Yeah. So so when you because uh, I've I've uh, I've never personally owned a dog. Obviously, I've had family. You're you're okay. <laughs> Don't worry. You can touch him. It's just, okay. <laughs> it doesn't make too much noise. Um, as I bump the table, um, flip the waters. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of a rickety setup. We're working on it. Once we get some advertisers in here, it'll be rock solid. There you go. <laughs> um, so. General that that lesson of generalization is not something that I had known because like when I uh, I've you know dogs at dogs mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've actually done some very light dog training because I've had dogs that I've watched that are not right. very well behaved but you do when you have them in a distraction free environment and you do have that reward they will figure out relatively quickly right. what they're supposed to be doing to get that reward. Yep. And then it's almost like when those other those other stimuli are happening in their environment, especially smells, which we don't register. Right. Um, they they tend to and, and one of the ways I think of it, but maybe I was thinking about it incorrectly and not as in the generalization sense is that uh, the the environmental stimuli might be more rewarding than the yep. food at that point in time. Yeah. Even if they do understand what's going on. Right. And that's something that's super important that a lot of people kind of skip over. Um, You always have to make whatever you have or whatever you're offering the most exciting thing in the world to your dog, right? Because if I'm asking my dog to sit and I don't have any sort of reward for him, like there's no incentive for him to follow through with a sit, then chasing that squirrel across Dan Morrison is going to be way more exciting and he's probably going to opt to do that. Yeah. Um, So always kind of working up to your bigger distractions, start easy with your dog, like start in your kitchen, then work in your backyard, then your front yard, then maybe at the local park and start to get to like these bigger places, eventually aiming for like the village or something, Um, somewhere that's busy and kind of getting your dog slowly accumulated to moving up in in the world, right? Like we start in the backyard where a leaf might fall and that might be really interesting and distract your dog. And then all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, you can take your dog and walk through um, downtown Boise while tree fort's going on and your dog doesn't give a you know a damn about anything that's going on. Sorry, or I cuss. Absolutely, please <laughs> feel free. It's okay. It's not going on. It's not going on broadcast television. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
or Home Depot or Lowe's. <laughs> That's another place you yeah. can take your dog that they, they tend to be distracted. I've oh, noticed. Home Depot is awesome too because yeah. there's so many weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people I've noticed like their dogs will be really uncertain about things. So taking them out of their comfort zone is a really good way to work them through that as long as you're mm-hmm. supportive. It's kind of like a kid, right? If you take a shy child somewhere and you just kind of abandon them and you know that you want them to figure it out, it's really can shut them down. It's really scary and intimidating. Yeah. Um, same idea for your dog. So if you're there and you're encouraging them and kind of working them through this situation, Home Depot is fantastic. Um, kind of some examples like uh, those moving carts yeah. that you, you, the contractors use. Lumber, yeah, yeah, they load them up. Getting your dog to stand on one of those or even put a paw on that can be huge in their mind and really start to bring them out of kind of their shell and make them more outgoing and want to try things with you. As long as you're not forceful about it and as yeah. long as you're mindful of where your dog's um, limits are. So if my dog is telling me I'm only going to put one foot on here, I'm good with that in the beginning, right? We can try two feet tomorrow or a week from now when you're feeling a little bit more confident. I'm not going to force him to do it. Kind of the same idea with a kid again, too. I was a shy child and growing up, if my mom was like, no, but you're going to go to Girl Scouts and you're going to socialize and she dragged me through, I pretty much didn't talk to anybody and I wanted to cry the entire time. Yeah. But if we went and we were doing something that that I liked and she was more encouraging and like, oh, you should go try this or go and show them how to do this, then that was more for me like, oh, okay, you know, I'll try this. Yeah. And it's kind of the same idea with your dog, just being really mindful of what they're feeling as well as what you're feeling and trying not to get frustrated with them because they are just animals. They don't have the same mental capacity that we do. True. (laughs) And what do you do? What do you do about a dog? I'm thinking specifically like my my parents recently picked up a uh, a one. She's one now, but a black mouth cur. Uh Are you familiar with the breed at all? Yeah. Okay. So uh, they previously had (laughs) a a a blue healer, Mm -hmm. um, extremely obedient. And uh, it was like a blue healer chow lab mix. So it was kind of a mutt. A little bit of crazy. Yeah, exactly. But very, very attuned to her surroundings right whereas this dog i mean attuned to to her surroundings in a different way so the old dog was extremely obedient always wanted to have social approval from the people that were in the family network and then now this one is just like i'm gonna go run and run yeah so how do you how do you what's a good way to um deal with that and what type of rewards would you recommend for people that are looking for uh trying to help their dog through those those more distracting environments yeah. to keep the attention right on themselves rather than in those everything else that's going on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So kind Unless of like, these are trade secrets. No, you so. don't have to give away any trade secrets. <laughs> You're good. I'm not trying to put you um, out of business here. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, I, you know, I can give out as much dog training info as I want, but most people have a really hard time following through with it. So <laughs> it takes a lot of time. It does. And a lot of, um, a lot of it is timing too. So if your timing's mm. off, it throws off everything with your dog because they don't speak English and they don't yeah. know exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so like in your parents' case, if you're looking at a healer lab mix, those mm. are two really obedient dogs that yeah. were bred to work alongside their humans and always look up to us for guidance. So if you've ever seen like healers working, they can work the herd all day long, but they're always going to be looking back to their human to see what they want them to do next. Yeah. Um, versus like your black mouth cur, which by the way was, um, what was that famous dog, that old yeller? He was a black mouth cur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had to, my, my dad had researched that. He got the dog cause it was Celtic. Yeah. And so, uh, Kel- he's his his family. We all came from Ireland. 
you that's know, awesome. Yeah. Original, but this was like forever ago. Way back. You know when, what I mean? So right? like we're one, of the, we're one of those people. If we ever, I've never been. Uh, my brother went to Ireland, and and it's just like one of those cliches. Like all those people that go to Ireland to visit from the United States. They're right. Like, you know, <laughs> forget about you guys. Like whatever. You're not Irish. Right. You're not even here anymore. Yeah. But you're uh, American. Yeah. But okay. Exactly. But it was uh, so he he picked up the dog because it's like a Celtic. It's a Celtic breed originally, uh-huh. and so they had crossbred it with a lot of different stuff. Yeah, but they are fiercely independent. Yep. Yes. So, so what do you do in those? Of Go ahead. Like, uh, when I think of a black mouth cur, I'm thinking more of like your uh, hunting breeds, um, okay. not necessarily like your retrievers, but more of like your hound group. Okay. Where a lot of black mouth cur people now are going to be in the south, they're going to be out like hunting boar or these really big animals. Um, so those dogs are trained to make smart, educated decisions. So if you've got a dog that's out chasing a boar, which can turn around and kill it in 2.2 seconds, the dog needs to know how to react and make decisions without the human being right there with them. Yeah. Um, so your black mouth cur is a dog that's thinking more of, you know, what's the best opportunity for me right now? What's the best way for me to make my life enjoyable or to do the things that I want to do? So in that case, I always recommend finding the thing that your dog likes the most and kind of trying to up the value on that. So my dog is very food motivated for him. I like to think of it in terms of money. Mm -hmm. If I give him $1,000, that's worth a lot more than a dollar or $50. Yeah. And so like those rewards for him, his $1,000 is like cut up hot dogs. He loves cut up hot dogs. Okay. Um, a dollar for him would be like the dried out Walmart jerky treats. They're just not okay. that great. And yeah. so, um, and that's kind of how we phase out treats too. So you kind of turn your dog into a gambler, more of like an addict, you know, okay. you might hit the jackpot sometimes and you might get a whole bunch of thousand dollar rewards. Yeah. Um, but most of the time you're probably going to lose or get like a dollar or some love and affection mm. and not necessarily lose, but you're not going to win big. And yeah. so with your parents' dog, it's finding those things that they like, you know, if it might be a ball, well, which ball do you like the most? Um, a lot of people I've noticed, especially breeds like chows, yeah. people can have a really hard time finding anything that their dog likes besides what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I like to use movement as a motivator. So if I take off running with a dog, I guarantee you're never going to see a dog who's going to keep its tail tucked between its legs or who's going to look nervous or uncertain. Tail always comes up, mouth opens, dog looks happy. And so that's always a really good motivator to fall back on if you can't find something that your dog likes. Um, With a breed like a black mouth cur, I'd probably look into a scent motivator. So maybe getting like a squirrel pelt from one of the hunters around here. That could be something really fun that you can play tug with, and it smells really exciting. Um, So things like that, just kind of thinking outside of the box, like, oh, what what does my dog like to do? Well, he likes to use his nose. Let's find something that smells really good. Um, And then you can kind of use that to bring your dog's attention back to you. Yeah, we got a flickering light bulb in here right now. <laughs> Trying to decide if it's going to die or I not. Know. It's like on and off. I hope I can fix this in post. It's, it's going to drive me crazy. It's going to be like a strobe lights happening. All yeah, of a sudden a party exactly. is going on. Okay. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna unscrew that as we're rolling here so that we don't have to put an epileptic warning on the on the footage. Because um, I can. All right. Anyway, but. Uh, Continue. I wanted. I want to hear uh, more about uh, more about your advice in general for people that are trying to to pick up a dog because you're very educated in this these topics. Thank you. Yeah. I like to think I'm pretty educated in it. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. So. 
I know a lot of people can run into issues with various breeds that they're looking at. And so kind of staying on that topic, if you've got a dog that likes to herd, you might look into things that your dog can chase. Um, One of the funnest toys that I've found for like 90% of dogs is basically a giant cat toy. So you can go and pick up like a lunch whip for a horse from D&B, tie a toy to the end of it, something that your dog likes. I've seen people even use plastic bags because they make noise and they're kind of exciting. Yeah, And then you use it as a giant cat toy and your dog can chase it around um huge reward a lot of dogs will go absolutely bonkers for this reward the thing is that it uses a lot of mental stimulation too so your dog is really thinking and kind of focusing on that prey predator drive that they have okay um so make sure that if you decide to do something like that keep it short and fun let your dog win um, don't, I typically don't go longer than 10 minutes. Most of the time after 10 minutes of playing this game, your dog is physically and mentally exhausted. Okay. And so that's kind of a good stopping point. And also kind of staying in that sense of things when you're training your dog, I always recommend to people to try and keep training sessions under three minutes. I know a lot of people really? like, yeah, okay. I would say probably 99% of people I meet think that if they need to be training their dog, they should go outside for an hour straight and practice with their dog for an hour. Oh, okay. So a lot of people don't have trained dogs because they don't have an hour to dedicate to training. Yeah. Well, the attention span of a dog. So there was a military police study mm-hmm. that went out and tested all these dogs and saw what their attention span was. And a fully trained military dog has an attention span of a whopping seven minutes. Oh, so wow. <laughs> if you think about that, if you've got a dog that's gone through all this training and can do all these great tactical things, and I'm looking at my average house dog, his attention span is probably closer to four to five minutes. Oh, wow. And your puppies are about 30 seconds to a minute. So trying to keep things short and sweet for your dog, they're going to remember everything. If you drag it out over an hour, it's kind of like, I'm sure you see it at school with students where pretty soon they're like, "Mm, yeah, I'm done. Like I'm checked out. They're good for seven hours. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why else would we make the school day that long? I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure that I was falling asleep by like 20 minutes, but. (laughs) No, the average kid has an attention span of all day long, basically, (laughs) which is why we have all the time to teach them all the things. But that's also why they get all those breaks during the day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, I I didn't. So I didn't realize that. That's good. That's good information. So you got a few minutes, a few minutes probably at a time. Right. So the best thing is to probably uh, have these things ready when you have a young dog and then when they do something that you like. I always like to just kind of keep things hanging out around the house, especially Mm -hmm. with puppies. Um, You can even do it like with your older dogs. Sometimes I just keep, I keep like random toys around my house. And if my dog does something that I really like, I can just throw a toy to him and he thinks it's the best thing in the world. He loves toys. He likes to destroy them. So, (laughs) But the novelty of it is super important as well. Yeah. That's good to know. Because like, like sometimes I don't think, we think of food as food. Right. You know, and treats as something good. And we don't think about which type of treats we're giving the dog. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's kind of one. I always like to tell people, you know, if you're working through some issues with your dog or you're Mm. really focused on training, um, try to dedicate, you know, like a minute here while you're waiting for the shower to heat up in the morning. You can do a minute of sit, stay with your dog. Yeah. Um, Or even like two... 30 minutes or 30 second sit stays while you're waiting for the water to heat up or even shorter than that. And you're getting some training done. Man, the yes, epileptic bite is back. <laughs> it's it's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> this this hasn't happened yet. Really? Yeah. So I'm going to try to fix it permanently this time. I have an idea. Anyway, first could, for everything. Could continue, please. For Oh, wait. It's back. <laughs> I think we're good. 
This this isn't good for picking up sponsors either. I don't think we need. Like, Man, I need sponsors on? to fix the light bulb. <laughs> but I can't get any sponsors because I have a no a obviously broken light bulb. <laughs> no these are LEDs too which really upsets uh, me this is the second one that's gone out because I replaced them all like a year ago right and they're like oh LEDs they cost all this money but they're gonna last for eternity <laughs> you know I'm like looking at it and I'm like it, right. it's the same co- like it's supposed to last as long as a new roof on my house or whatever and you it know lasts and, you yeah like- and I've been I already yeah like in a year I've replaced like three or four of them throughout my house I'm like that's the same thing as a regular bulb right and I paid like Eight times original. as much for it. Anyway. Especially now if like you're a, going for the natural lighting ones. Yeah. Those are what I have for photography. And I'm like, they're so expensive and I burn them out so fast, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those, those. I don't know about this LED thing. <laughs> All I know is it's expensive. It's just a fad. And then they, they went ahead and promised it and they haven't even been out that long. So now it's just, this is the beginning of people complaining right. about their 40-year <laughs> light bulbs starting to flicker out. They're but, like, uh, but, well, we thought 40 years. I guess in reality it was two. Yeah. <laughs> Guess you can go back to those incandescents right. or whatever. I don't know if they're an environmental hazard or something like that. Though. Right. I don't, who knows? They'll find some other excuse. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so oh. so anyway, you're right. Reward- My attention span is the same as dog. Oh, pretty cool. soon I'm like, well, oh. then, you know, I don't know if you saw ducks outside, but I was pretty interested in those for a few minutes. Yeah, there. we got ducks in this neighborhood. <laughs> we got ducks, and they're very tame. So you got to watch it if you're walking a dog on the Nampa Greenbelt. Like if they yeah. have a if they have a propensity for going after uh, animals, these ones will not fly away very quickly. I've kind of watched them. There was an off-leash dog and I got really interested because the ducks were like, oh, do you have food? Let's yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the same as dogs. They're just they're, working for that next reward. <laughs> yeah. They forget that they might be food right. on this path. You know, sometimes you I jog and I, I wait for that moment from that Seinfeld moment for me to just romp on the ducks because sometimes they won't, <laughs> they like won't move and I like... I'm, duck slippers, yeah. the rest you of the You know, way. I feel like I'm playing hopscotch to this like pile of ducks and their crap on the middle of the bike path. But well, uh, there you go. That's a good reward for your dog if they get distracted yeah. with some ducks. <laughs> well, do you know anything about duck training so I can train these ducks to get out of my way I while I'm jogging? Personally. I guess I could step on one of them, but I don't know. Right. The I mean, neighbors might get mad at me. I don't know. Kind of give them that um, positive punishment. Yeah, I think get I need, out of the way. <laughs> I think I need a license. <laughs> right. I'm going to kill a duck with yes. my foot. You still need I to get a get a duck license for the season. I'm I don't even know sure if they're in season. I'm pretty sure that you would probably get in trouble for that, especially since you're in city limits. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel I'm pretty sure it works. So my method of dog training works for all mammals. I'm sure okay. you could expend it to to um, ducks as well, birds and, and such, <laughs> going to some okay. ornithology stuff. Just straight behaviorism. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Well, on. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I don't know if you saw it, but there was, um, gosh, what is it? The Bronx Zoo in New York. Mm, no. Uh, crazy story, off track. Okay. They took a bunch of crocodiles. When they would go out to feed them, all the crocodiles would attack each other, and they kept having to sedate them and take them in for vet repairs because they kept biting each other trying to get the food. Okay. And one day it dawned on them of, if we can teach our dogs to line up their food dishes, why can't we teach these crocodiles to line up for food also? Okay. And so they started to use cones and teach all these crocodiles to come up and line up in front of these cones. And now they don't have the cones, they don't have anything, but the crocodiles come up single file basically yeah. and wait one at a time for their food so i'm like hmm, behavior is pretty interesting you can yeah. transfer it to any species i yeah. guess <laughs> yeah 
crocodiles is good. Yeah, crocodiles are pretty cool. And then there's a video going around on Facebook right now with, I think, some bigger crocodiles, probably some crocodiles I would never want to be anywhere near that are doing the same idea. So <laughs> I would want to make sure they're well fed before I started. Right. But then I'll, they need to be hungry in order to respond right. to the reward. So that sounds like well, a dangerous and, job. And the ones at the Bronx Zoo, I feel like were pretty pretty small. They were smaller. Hmm. I don't know. The species like a smaller crocodile. So not okay. too much worry. Might take off like... The lower part of your foot, but not the whole leg. So, oh, okay, <laughs> a little bit safer than these crocodiles in the Facebook video. They look like uh, like those big Nile crocodiles. They'll just take your whole body and never find you again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to keep an eye out to see how that training goes. So, how do how do people get a hold of you for for training? Is that a service that you're currently yeah. taking people in right now for dog training? And I am. So okay. my business is called On Point Canine. Okay. Um, I can be found on Facebook or my phone number is, I have an out-of-state number still, um, okay. 775-397-5905. And I can be reached through call or text. Um, okay. My schedule is pretty busy at the moment. So Don't tell anyone your schedule in yeah. case they watch this. They might find you. <laughs> right. They'll figure out <laughs> They'll where be I'm looking for your next. dog, not you, but. <laughs> I know. I'm sure. Um, so for me, typically the best way to get in touch is text or social media, phone calls. Okay. I try to make back in the evenings, but sometimes they just get so piled up. <laughs> I'm horrible. Don't call me. I'm horrible. <laughs> okay. Right on. Um, we'll have to put that contact information under the podcast as yeah, well so that, that people awesome. can, can reach out to you, um, for dog training. It's, it really sounds like you know your stuff. I like to think that I'm pretty knowledgeable. I've been involved in dog training for, uh, I started as a teenager professionally kind okay. of doing um, like dog handling and then moved into it. And I started behavior stuff, like behavior stuff, talking more behavior modification, kind of what pushed me into more of like the bully breeds about six years ago. So I like to feel like I'm pretty well rounded on it all now. <laughs> cool. And what type of, what type of time frame does it take as far as like, if somebody's like, Hey, I need to get my dog trained. Yeah. What 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 does that look like? Um, so it kind of depends on what we're training. If it's like leash pulling, we can okay. usually fix that in a lesson or less. Okay. Um, if you want your dog like total from start to finish, it depends on how much work you want to put in. So if somebody wants to learn how to train their dog on them like by themselves, we do that in private lessons, and usually okay. it's about two to four private lessons, depending on what you're looking for. Okay. Um, if you want me to train the dog, I do boarding trains, which are anywhere from seven to 10 days long and bring your dog back home fully trained. So, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, nice. a little bit easier for people. Do you people have just to... like a cache of dogs? Is that what it is? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> you're much. like, I have one that looks kind of like yours. Let me just bring a train one out. Right. And then... <laughs> I'll train this one in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. How long should we keep this dog here, though, right. so that the owner thinks they're getting the dog back that's theirs trained? <laughs> master, um, yeah. master burglar. I just sneak in and trade your dog back Not out later on. Not only is your dog perfectly trained, it also looks... <laughs> slightly different and better (laughs) that beauty mark moved to the other side of their face (laughs) cool so people can reach out to you uh email or or phone call we'll get that contact information on the on the podcast on the website treasurevalleypodcast.com and throw it uh, up on youtube for you as well yeah um but anyway my ramblings (laughs) yeah no that was good thanks so much for coming on today i appreciate it and now i know who to talk to if i ever need dog advice again all your dog stuff well so i do dog training dog grooming kind of everything pretty much if you've got a dog and a question just come at me (laughs) cool cool do you respond to social media questions and those types 
types of yeah. things? Yeah. Um, okay. So if you've got social media questions, a little bit kind of different off okay. from my business page, the best way to get in touch with me for that is going to be through my dog's Instagram. Okay. Um, and he's Bourbon the Am Bully. Bourbon the Am Bully, I guess is a good way to kind of show okay. you how to spell that. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, and we do a lot of Q&A kind of on our page where we'll do like live videos or question and answer where we can post it to our stories or our feeds. And a lot of people really like that. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Savannah, for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. <laughs>